This is the Southern Hills Church of God, and this is our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today. We hope this inspires you and guides you and builds your faith. God bless and enjoy this message. Man, it's been a week, hasn't it? Do I need to even get started? Monday, this big ice storm came through, and Megan and the kids are still at school. You know, we've moved, and we've moved out to Mustang. It's about 27, 28 minutes or so that Megan has to drive home. And, and I said, you better get in your car and go because it's about to get bad. I, I, I don't think they expected it to be as bad as it was. Then Tuesday hit. And Wednesday hit, and Thursday hit, and Friday hit, and it was one thing after another. Does anybody in here still not have power? I know I've talked to a couple. There's still many that don't have power. We need to be praying that that power turns on right now in the name of Jesus. I'm serious. I, this, is, this has been one thing, and I hated to, to cancel services on Wednesday, but we didn't have any internet here. We didn't. There's still many without power. This road, the service road, uh, not the service road, sorry, South um, Douglas was just covered in tree limbs, and it was hard to maneuver and to travel and to get through, but thank God that we're able to have church today. Amen? Amen and amen. You know, I... A couple Wednesdays ago, I preached a message on a Wednesday night about the end times, what's next, about the days of Noah. And um, it's been something that's been in my heart that I wanted to speak on in a Sunday sermon series. And uh, I just didn't know the timing. And and, um, David and Juanita came to me uh, last week, I guess it was, and, and said, you need to preach that on a Sunday. So that was the confirmation that I needed to do it. So if you don't like it, it's all their fault, okay? No, I'm, this is something that's um, been in my heart, and I really want to do it. So, you know, here, here's the reality of the season that we're in right now. The end is before us. Now, whether or not that end is 10 minutes from now or it's 100 years from now, not even the angels know the time nor the place that when the coming of the Son of Man will come. But I will say this, we need to be ready. And we need to know the signs. And, and so I wanted to, to kind of dive into this today and start in Matthew chapter 24. There's a passage that I want to read, and then I'm going to dive in. So this sermon is a souped-up kind of, I guess you can say, sermon of what I did a couple of weeks ago, and then the six weeks to come after this are also about the end times. Um, but I, I, I do want to make mention of this. As a kid growing up, you know, uh, dad would preach on the end times and, and revelation and share everything that's been prophesied. And, and I'm going to be honest, as a child, it scared me. Because there's some things in it that when you read it, I'm like, are you serious? That's really going to happen? And so not understanding God and his nature and his grace and really the, the, the order of events in which was to happen, it scared me. But let me tell you today, the book of Revelation and the prophecies that come are nothing to be scared of. Yes, it is some bad things that are coming. But if you're a child of God, the Lord will come and get you before any of that happens. So you've got nothing to worry about this morning, I'm telling you. But if you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior, guess what? Right now is the best time to do it. Amen. 
I don't think that any of us should should be lax in our relationship with Christ, but whether or not because because the angels don't know the time or the place, because tomorrow is not promised, we need to understand that we need to be ready. Matthew chapter 24 says, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. I'm going to read on from this in my um, Bible right here. It says, For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the middle one will be taken and the other left watch therefore for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming but know this that if the master of the house had known listen because that's the warning that he's given had we known the hour the thief would come he would have watched and not allowed the house to be broken into let me tell you something your body is a temple your mind is a temple and I promise you if we had known what was going to happen before it happened there's things we should we would have not done and would not have said but here's the reality because we don't know we have to make sure that we are right today and then it says therefore you also be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect it's written the Lord is coming He's coming. I need us to get that ingrained. He is coming as it was in the days of Noah. So to kind of unwrap that text, we need to understand what it was like in the days of Noah. What was it like before the flood? It has been long debated by many about whether or not the flood that was re- re- that, that, that we see here, that it actually happened or if it's just some story that we tell of the children and obviously because we know the Bible is true and every word in it to be true and that this is a living and active word that there's nothing in this that is false we believe it to have happened so we know the story we, we, we know how wicked humanity was at the time we know that God told Noah to build an ark We know that Noah obeyed and it took him just a few decades to build the ark. That Noah and his entire household um, went into the ark with the animals. That God shut the door. That it rained all those days and nights until water covered the entire earth. And everything and everyone was destroyed except for those inside the ark. And then it stopped to rain and, and the waters began to recede. And the ark rested on a mountain peak. And God promised that he would never destroy the earth again with the waters so he put a rainbow in the sky as a sign of that promise and then Noah and his wife repopulated the earth okay so we know all of that happened we know the story but I want to know what was it like in the days of Noah so we know based on scripture Because the Bible, when speaking to the last day, references as it was in the days of Noah, we need to get some context to what it was like then. So for one, the climate was completely different then than it was now. Some people believe that there wasn't even rain before the flood, that the earth was in a greenhouse type of atmosphere and the earth was watered by a mist. That's, That's what some people believe. The Bible says there has never been rain like this before. So does that mean that it had never rained or that there had never been that much? 
we don't know. But obviously what we do know is the atmosphere was different then than it was um, right now. What about the technology? What do we know? Were they some type of just um, a primitive man that, that, they, that they just beat with, you know, Rocks and sticks and all that stuff. Here, here's what happened, okay? Noah built this ark basically by himself. An amazing feat. So there had to have been some type of technology there, right? We're not talking about laptops and we're not talking about iPads. But we're talking about bronze and iron that they had access to, that they worked to the best of their ability. So they had a knowledge of what, of what the times were. So they were very smart, okay? But here's what happened. We know that God wasn't happy with how things were going. We know that from Adam to the flood, there's about 1,500 years. And the normal lifespan seemed to have been 800 to 900 years. And I think you can learn a whole lot in 900 years. Could you imagine being alive that long? I, I know what I've learned in just the short time I've been alive. I've learned that at my age, you, don't, you will not do or should not do a headstand. I did one just a couple days ago, and it hurt really bad. So I have learned not to do that again. Every time I get hurt, because I'm in the floor playing with my kids. But I've learned a whole lot. But here's what happened. God wasn't happy with how things were going. And it's, there seemed to have been a problem because God decided that he was going to shorten lifespan. And as a matter of fact, it says in his word, then the Lord said, my spirit will not contend with man forever for he is mortal. His days will be, does anybody know? 120 years. 120 years, it goes on to observe in um, the book of um, uh, Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 how wicked mankind was when it said the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. I want you to think about this, how callous could a person become in a span of 900 years? And how much wickedness could he perform? I understand there's a lot of good that can be done too, but if there's good, there's also bad. And so we understand that because of that, God probably wasn't happy with how things were going, and so God's creation was a mess, and he decided that we needed a change. Here's what he said in the book of um, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted, look at that. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So what the Lord say? He said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I've created and with them the animals and the birds and the creatures that move along the ground for I what? Regret that I have made them. There is so much evil, so much violence, so much nastiness around the world that the Lord said what I made was wrong and I need to fix the problem. Every thought, every imagination, a man was wicked. It goes on to talk about how it was full of violence, full of hatred. Verse 12 said that everyone on the earth was corrupt. Could you imagine living in a world where everyone was evil, everyone's corrupt, and you can't trust anyone? <laughs> Sounds a lot like today, right? But then the next verse, and I love it, Genesis 6, verse 8, because it says, but Noah. 
That meant there was something different about him. That meant that something stood out about Noah that the rest of them didn't have. That he found favor with the Lord. I love that verse, but Noah, because what it tells me is that instead of just wiping everything out on the face of the earth and starting with a clean slate, there was something that God saw that was good. And he said, but Noah, I'm going to use you, my child, to try to restore some dignity to this world. So he said, because of Noah, but Noah, God gave the world another chance. Would you and I have been here if it had not been for but Noah. And to add to this, 2 Peter chapter 2 says, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Meaning that he tried to persuade people to change their ways. It said, that listen to this, God's patience waited. What's that mean? That he loved people so much that he was willing to be patient for them to get their hearts right with God. Aren't you thankful this morning that God's patience waited on you? Aren't you thankful that God's patience waited on us? That he loved us enough to give us a chance to repent. That he gave us grace. So from the time that God told Noah what was going to happen and what to do. Until the time the rain began was 120 years. So for 120 years, Noah was trying his best telling them the end was near. And they needed to change their ways. Don't you think that God is trying to relay that message to us today? If you didn't know, there's an election happening this month. If you didn't know, people in the Wiccan culture were surrounding the White House last night trying to cast spells on it. Let me tell you how evil and corrupt that this world is becoming. But let me tell you something. It's not a reason to fear because as a child of God, let me tell you something. Satan cannot move in areas which you do not give him permission to move. So if you don't want evil inside your home, if you don't want evil inside your house, if you don't want evil inside your heart, then don't give him permission to move there. Do you understand that this morning? He has no power or control over the child of God. Don't give him permission. Stop playing games. The time of his return is near. As was in the days of Noah. I'm sure that most people thought Noah was crazy. Right? Had never seen that much rain before. Hey, get on this big boat that I'm about to build because God's about to flood the earth. What's that even mean? We've never seen that much rain. This guy had done gone crazy. Right? Some people probably even walked by and said, who does he, who does he think he is judging me like that? 
What makes him better than me? Why would God choose him over me? What makes him right and us wrong? Let me tell you why. Because God saw him righteous. And because God saw him blameless. And because God saw something about Noah. He said that's what I envision my child to be. So I'm going to use him as an example in that moment to preach righteousness to a world that needs it. You know what I pray all the time? I said God give me the confidence of Noah to stand up in the face of those who doubt who God really is to be able to shout the power of God over, over their life and for God to actually move and for them to see that this thing that he's talking about is real. I wonder if any Christians have asked the same questions when they felt in their heart that something wasn't right but tried to reason with what they were doing and tell themselves it's just okay and deceive themselves. It's human nature. And I know people tried to do that in his day. But what did Noah do? Noah didn't just sit back and let it happen. He preached righteousness. But I wonder how many people listened. I wonder how many converts he had at first. How many people thought, well, he might be telling the truth. There might be something going on here that is, is true. And I can imagine Noah being a very respected person in that day. And so I wondered if anybody paid attention to what he was saying. And, and I wonder if he had any cousins or aunts or uncles that said, Hey, we need to take, you know, we, we need to listen to this Noah guy. Because somebody must have listened, right? But then as time passed by, they quit believing. Remember, 120 years passed by. Can you imagine if somebody had said, oh, he's probably saying something right on year one. By year 99, they're probably thinking, this guy's crazy. 120 years passed by. And as time passed by, they walked by Noah and his boat, and they just quit noticing. They heard Noah speak, and they started to ignore him. Maybe... Ever once in a while, they'd stop and marvel at this large boat that nobody will probably ever need, right? And they walked by and maybe even laughed and mocked. And Luke chapter 17 tells us that they were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. Noah was doing what God had called him to do. Not to push out those who were in sin, but to tell them the truth lovingly and share the hope of Jesus with them. They were just living their lives like they had all the time in the world. I wanted you to get a picture of this. Noah is hammering away. He's carrying these big two-by-fours up on the ark, and he's putting them together, putting nails in it. And right down the road, there's a marriage taking place. Right down the road, people are drinking and having a great time. Right down the road, somebody just got engaged. Right over there, somebody made a business deal right over there there somebody bought their very first home and somewhere there was a huge feast people were just living the lives that they thought that they could live and that they had all the time in the world life went on and the entire time these people were living their lives they had no idea that soon there would be a flood soon would come to an end Noah tried he pleaded he begged he gave everything he had all because they didn't listen and they didn't heed the warning. They should have been begging for a place on the ark, repenting of their sin, but instead they live life just normal. So what happened? 
God shut the door. And the sky looked a little different. The haze was gone. The sky turned black. Streaks of lightning began to shoot across the sky. The clouds began making noise. Water started pouring down. The ground couldn't hold it, so water started coming up from the ground. Some probably hid in their houses. Some probably cursed the sky like people were doing last night. Some probably cried out to their gods. Some probably even cried out to Noah's God. Some looked for higher ground for a place to be safe. And I can assure you that there were some that even knocked on the door of the ark wanting to gain admittance. But by the time the ark shut its doors, it was too late. It's tragic. And I want to mention this today. God help me. There were children that died. There were babies that died. There were two-year-olds and five-year-olds and 18-year-olds that died. And guess what? For 99% of the time, it wasn't their fault. But they were being led by their mom and dad. Just the other night, God help me, we didn't have any power at my house. It was Tuesday night, Wednesday night, I can't remember now, all the days kind of just mixing one. I have a gas fireplace, so I had turned it on and we were all sitting by, staying warm. It was cold outside, there was ice. And it was dark and the Holy Spirit spoke to me, he said, teach your children. You know, Aiden has accepted Jesus in his heart and he's been baptized. One of the greatest pleasures I've had is to be able to baptize my own son. It was amazing. But that night I shared Jesus with Israel and with Eliza. And I said, guys, have you ever accepted Jesus in your heart? Well, no. Do you want to? Well, sure. So I grabbed Israel's hand and I said, buddy, repeat after me. We prayed the prayer of salvation that night and my little boy gave his heart to God. I grabbed Eliza by her hand. I said, baby girl, do you want to do the same thing? Yeah, daddy. I said, sweet girl, repeat after me. She said, dear Jesus, be the Lord of my life. <laughs> Can I tell you, church, that's what it's about. Parents leading their children in the way of salvation. I wonder how many children would have been saved had mom and dad just got their act together. I just need to move on. It's tragic. So what happened? Noah and his home were finally about to come out of the ark and God made a promise to them that he never destroyed the world again with water. 
God promised that we'd never have to wonder if it stopped raining because the rainbow was his covenant promise to us that it would. And man got another chance to do it right. About 500 years after the flood, though, guess what? It happened again because God judged the world at the Tower of Babel. Man's wicked heart was out of control and God confused their language and scattered mankind all over the earth because here's the reality and let me tell you today that as long as the devil has been given permission to run loose, mankind will always fail. It's time for the church to be the church And close the door. But God had a plan for this sin. He had a plan. And that plan was that God sent his son to the earth to die. To forgive you and I. So that when he rose again on the third day. That all my sin was forgiven. And it gave me access to his grace so that I never ever have to wonder, is God listening to me? Because he promised on that day that I will never leave you. God had a plan. And then roughly 1,700 years later, God began to give the prophet Isaiah um, visions of what was going to happen. And Isaiah saw the Messiah that would come and die for our sin. He saw the kingdom where the Messiah would rule and reign. And this is what he said in Isaiah chapter 24. Look, the Lord is about to destroy the earth and make it a vast wasteland. He devastates the surface of the earth and scatters the people, priests and lay people, servants and masters, maids and mistresses, buyers and sellers, lenders and borrowers, bankers and debtors. None will be spared. The earth will be completely emptied and looted. Why? The Lord has spoken. The earth mourns and dries up and the land wastes away and withers. Even the greatest people on earth waste the way the earth suffers for the sins of its people for they have twisted God's instructions violated his laws and broken his everlasting covenant therefore a curse consumes the earth its people must pay the price for their sin they are destroyed by what fire And only a few are left alive. The grapevines waste away. And there is no new wine. All the merrymakers sigh and mourn. The cheerful sound of tambourines is stilled. The happy cries of of celebration are heard no more. The melodious chords of the harp are silent. Gone are the joys of wine and song. Alcoholic drink turns bitter in the mouth. The city rides in chaos. Every home is locked to keep out people. Gathering streets, crying out, joy has turned to gloom, gladness has been banished. Could you imagine waking up from that dream? Can you imagine the heavy heart that Isaiah must have had when he woke up and realized what God was saying? That man's rebellion and wickedness is not going to go unchecked. But God is going to judge the world and tear down man's evil system once and for all. And just like Noah saw the world being judged by water, Isaiah saw the world being destroyed. 
He even goes on to say, see, the Lord is coming. His swift chariots roar like a whirlwind. He will bring punishment with the fury of his anger and the flaming fire of his hot rebuke. The Lord will punish the world by his sword. He will judge the earth and many will be killed by him. And immediately after having the vision, what did Isaiah do? Because anytime the Lord gives you a message, this should be your response. He acted and he took to the streets to warn people. Prophets and preachers have been warning people ever since that this world was going to face judgment one more time. And let me tell you something. God is sick of it. God is sick of the um, bitterness He's sick of the arguing back and forth. He's sick of the, ang- of the anger and the hatred. He's sick of the sin. He's sick of everything. And there is coming a day where the Lord Jesus will come down again from heaven and take all those who believe in him and know him as their personal Savior. And I don't know about you, Seth, but I want to be one of those people. It's never too late. Today can be your day. And then 700 years later after that, I'm giving you a history lesson today. Jesus was on the earth teaching and instructing. And his own disciples asked him, what about the end? Jesus told them that he was going to be leaving and that they were to carry on the work until he come back. And so in Matthew chapter 24, they asked him, how will we know? When is all this going to happen? What are the signs that we are to look for? And so Jesus gave them a list of signs. And he said, when you see these things happen, you will know the time is near. So what are the signs? Prophets speaking lies. Wars and rumors of wars. Um, diseases. Hello? Earthquakes, hello. Israel being persecuted, hello. People going away from the faith, hello. False prophets leading people away, hello. Wickedness abounding, hello. Hearts growing cold, hello. The gospel being preached to the whole world, that's what we've got to do right now. Do we need any more proof that the Lord's time is near? Now again, not even the angels know the time nor the place. But what are we to do? Be ready. Be ready. Just be ready. Because let me tell you something, and I love you like I love my own children. And as much as I love your tithes, and God bless you, keep them coming. But tithes aren't going to get you to heaven. I'm so glad you're here this morning. I promise you, and I'm not saying this because she's in this room, but I mean it with every ounce in my body. When Paula Wingo walks in that room, I smile because I love her. I love this church. I love every single one of you. But guess what? Church attendance ain't going to get you to heaven. You've got to have a relationship with him. Church is not about religion. Church isn't just about me preaching to you. 
Church isn't just about singing worship songs. Church is about having a relationship with God, being a disciple, obeying His laws and commands, being committed to Him. You have to be more than religious. You've got to be like Christ. But here's what Peter said. 2 Peter chapter 3. I think we have these up on the screen. I want you to see them. 2 Peter chapter 3, um, verse number 3. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days that scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again. Much like the people in years 80 and 85 and 99 when the people in Noah's day said, well, when is this rain coming? When's that flood supposed to be here so we can hop on your imaginary boat? Let me tell you something. There's coming a day when people will mock God and we're seeing it right now. They will say what happened to that promise that Jesus is coming again from before the times of our ancestors. Everything has remained the same since the world was first created. But then he goes on to um, verse 9. He said this, and I love it, because when, when people ask, well, what's he waiting on? And here's what he had to say about it. The Lord isn't being slow about keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. But listen, instead, he is patient with you. God's patience waited. Aren't you thankful this morning that God's being patient so we can get our act together? Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. Not wanting anyone to perish. Most, most importantly, throughout this passage, and if you'll come and play, because I'm going to wrap this up. This is what Peter said. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the, and, and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heaven and the new earth he has promised. A world filled with God's righteousness. And then he leaves us with this and he said, And so, dear friends, while you are waiting on these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are what? Pure and blameless look the day of tribulation is coming but if you know Jesus you don't have to worry about it you don't have to worry about it so what happened as I wrap this up in the days of Noah sin was out of control but Noah and his home were a remnant of righteousness. And I've heard two preachers preach on this in the last couple weeks about a remnant. And I believe wholeheartedly that God is going to move through a remnant. 
the ones that are left, the ones that are remain, the ones that are willing to sacrifice everything, just like the woman with the jar of oil, everything she had, she gave to the to her Savior. And I'm telling you, the remnant is here so that we can give glory to God. And we can see people saved. Sin was out of control. There was a remnant of righteousness. There was judgment because in the flood we see a portrait of God's judgment that will come. But there's also an escape because the ark served as a place where people could get out of the rain for those that accepted it. But where there's an escape, let me tell you something, what the Bible says. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we all shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised and we shall be changed. There is an escape for us on this earth. There is an escape that we don't have to face the trial and the tribulation that comes. It says that then together, we who are still alive will remain on the earth, will be caught up in the clouds to meet Him. We will be with the Lord forever. But you see, the door of that ark was a portrait of Jesus because no man can come to the Father except through Him. There's only one way in and there's one way out. And it's accepting Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior. But let me tell you something, just like the ark, even though we have an escape, we have a door, at some point the door shuts. And I don't want to be too late. But Hebrews 11 tells us something really beautiful. It said, and by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith. He condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with the faith. Let me tell you something. Noah's faith saved him. Noah's faith saved him. He cut the wood by faith. He hammered the nails by faith. He preached by faith. He went on the ark by faith. He was saved by faith. Noah's fear moved him to act. His fear was not to just wrap up and curl up in a ball and say, I just don't want any of this to be true. No, his fear moved him. He said, in a holy fear, because fear isn't always a bad thing. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. His fear acted him to move. And then my favorite part, and it's the it's just a chance of a lifetime that I had just the other night. Noah's wife and his kids went with him because Noah led by example. Noah led by example. So let me tell you as I close this right now. Your faith in Jesus can save you. That fear should cause you to act. And you should lead your spouse Lead your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your great-great-grandchildren, your great-great. Leave a legacy. Leave a legacy. 